Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. Glad to have you here. Sounds like you're glad to be here. Good to catch up with people. I am really uh, surprised we have this many at worship. Uh, considering the weather, we're glad you're here. Says a lot to your commitment to the Lord's day and to the time of worship. May God bless you richly because of it. A couple of uh, announcements we need to make. The deacons will meet this afternoon at 430 uh, tonight, Ben will continue working his way through Romans chapter 2, 12 through 16. Also, a couple of things. The uh, Monday night Bible study for ladies will begin tomorrow night at 6 o'clock in the youth room. And also, uh, the Tuesday morning uh, Bible study that listens to Paige Benton uh, won't meet this Tuesday. She was prohibited. I mean, she was not able to prevent it from teaching this week, and so nothing new available yet. And the men uh, miss prayer breakfast, but we'll have it this week. Prayer breakfast Tuesday morning at 645. Prayer breakfast this Tuesday morning at 645. Glad to have you worship. Let's prepare our hearts to worship God together. The Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 100. Join me as we read on the italics. This is the Lord's word. He himself calls to us. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name.
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. We praise You for the glory of Yourself that You've revealed to us in the world around us, that You have made known to us with with what we can see and perceive of all the, the laws of nature that work together to uphold all things which You have created. We know that You are at work. We know that You are on high holding all things together. And we praise You, O Lord, for the revelation of Yourself in the pages of Scripture by the ministry of Your Spirit upon our hearts. We thank You, O Lord, that You have given us a sight of Yourself and shown us that You are holy, holy, holy. We praise You that You have made known to us the the sinfulness of our own hearts so that we may seek salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ as You have drawn us to Yourself by Your Spirit and in the work that, that Jesus has accomplished. What... A marvelous God You are. How great and awesome is Your name. We have come to worship. Holy Spirit, descend upon us that we may praise the name of our triune God. Be blessed, O God, to receive praise and adoration and thanksgiving from us, Your people. And would You be pleased to bless us with a knowledge of who You are and an ever-increasing love for Your Gospel and for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And now pray together as He taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's profess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Turn in your hymnals to number 100. Let's sing together, Holy, Holy, Holy.
please be seated. Keep your hymnals open and turn to page 793, where Psalm 27 is printed for our responsive reading. You know, sometimes hard to tell when David wrote a psalm, especially when he's writing about running from his enemies, because David ran from his enemies quite a bit, Um, maybe from Saul, maybe from Absalom. Regardless, with all the persecution that's against him in his running, and the one thing that David desired above all else was to worship God in his sanctuary. This was David's desire because he knew that right worship leads to right living, that that right affection and love for God stirs up within us by the Spirit's work, happiness and joy and peace. And that's what we read about here in Psalm 27. So let's read this responsively. I'll read the plain text. Join me on the bold. This is God's Word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, you are the creator of the ends of the earth. You're the governor of all that has been made. You're the judge of all men. Lord Jesus, you're the head of the church. You're the Savior of sinners. Time would fail us to recount all that you are, all that you do, all that your reign means over everything that has been created. Oh Lord, your greatness is unsearchable. Your goodness to us is infinite. We praise you, Lord, your compassion is unfailing. Your providence is is boundless. Not not a thing can happen apart from your good intended purpose. Your mercies, Lord, we thank you that they are new every morning. We bless you, O Lord our God, that you have given to us the words of salvation in the pages of Scripture. We love the promises of your word. How important they are to us. How how suitable and encouraging are the doctrines of the gospel of peace that you have proclaimed to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for calling us to him. We thank you that in the gospel you have given us as sinners so much more 
for which we can praise you. For we were once lost apart from you. We were once going our own way, seeking after the things of this world. But in the gospel, you have presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation from sin and death. Lord, we were once weak, but in the gospel we have learned and found help in the one who is mighty. Indeed, the one who is mightier than death itself and has put it to death on his cross. We were once poor, but in you, O Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have discovered unsearchable riches, so much more than all we could ask or imagine you have poured out upon us in him. We were once blind, unable to see, unable to discern what is right and good, but but we have found in Christ treasures of wisdom and knowledge and have been filled with the fullness of God. What a marvelous thing you have done for sinners like us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this unspeakable gift. Your Son, our Lord, our only refuge, our only foundation, our only hope, our only confidence. Lord, we depend upon him, upon his death. We rest upon his righteousness. Lord, we desire above all other things, to walk in His image and to be more and more like Him. May the glory of Christ fill the minds of Your people. May His love reign in all of our affections as we walk in this world. Would it be a characteristic, indeed the very basic characteristic of who we are as Your people, the love of Christ that has been communicated to us. Lord, we, we do lift up your church and your people and ask that you would grant special grace for every hour that we walk in this world. We, we face not just the world and the devil, but we feel our own flesh even rising up against us, that remaining corruption that yearns, that, that rather that we yearn to see finally put to death in the day of Christ. When we are pressed down with, with sin and sorrow, we're perplexed with circumstances when we know not what to do, when we are slandered and persecuted, when we're made to feel the weight of the cross and all of these circumstances, Holy Spirit, come and help us, your people, that we may depend upon you, that we may look to your word for encouragement and instruction. Be with us, O Lord. Grant us that we may be holy and happy people, just as you created our first parents and sinlessness, and spotlessness. Help us, Lord, that we may be like you have made us to be. Help us to walk a life separated from sin, full of life and full of courage. Grant us, Lord, that we may wrestle with success against our weakness and remaining corruption. As we work in our jobs and in our homes, as we navigate marriages and and parenting, as we experience affliction, disappointment, sickness, disease, even death, would you come, Holy Spirit, and grant strength and power to your people. Comfort us that we may be encouraged to continue on as Christian soldiers, walking onward, walking solely towards you, O Lord our God, seeking after you through your word, and praising you all the way as we see your kingdom come to be in this place and time. Father, grant that all of our minds and hearts may be firmly fixed upon you, our King and our God. Would you come and do it even now through the ministry of your word? We praise you for your revealed will in the scriptures that you have given to us as your servant stands to preach Give him assistance in proclamation and prayer. Give him a heart that's lifted up with grace and unction. Grant him freedom to open the sorrows of your people and to set before us comforting considerations. Attend with power, even now, the truth proclaimed. And would you awaken the attention of your slothful people that we may again this day renew our covenant with you, even as you have come down and meet us here and now. We love you, O Lord. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Be pleased 
to bless us the rest of this service, the rest of this day, and all of this week, that we may serve you with love and affection, warmth and zeal. Be glorified, our triune God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing again number 660, O God Beyond All Praising. pray together. We join with the psalmist and say, praise the Lord, O my soul, all that's inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As we pause to bring our tithe and offerings to you, we realize that you have already blessed us beyond measure. You have brought us into your family. You have forgiven us of our sin. You have clothed us in the righteousness. You've adopted us as your children. You have empowered us by your spirit. You guide us by your word. You encourage us with fellowship today. And all of that makes us glad people. And so we give in obedience to tithe, but we give also cheerfully and generously, and we give with expectation that you'll use our gifts and the ministries of this church to build your kingdom, to share the gospel around the world, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
Tenney texted me this morning and said, I don't know who's going to show up or what we're going to do, but her concerns were really no concern at all. They did a great job, and I'm grateful for her dedication and the choir's commitment to lead us in worship. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 23. But before we go, I'd just like to remind you of the setting. This is a sermon or a letter. People don't know which it is, and so some people call it a sermon that became a letter. And we really don't know who wrote it, but they wrote it to encourage the people in a small church not to fall away, to persevere in the faith, to endure, to not be like the seed that fell on the rocky ground and didn't have any root and withered and died. And he not only encourages them to persevere and to endure, he assures them that he thinks that they are. He says that we know that you are not the kind that will uh, shrink back. We know you're the kind that will continue on in the Lord. And he says, if you're going to continue on in the faith, the one thing you have to learn to do is to live by faith. And he quotes Habakkuk where he says, the just shall live by faith. It's not just justification by faith. We're not talking about justification, I don't think, in almost any of these passages. We're talking about the result of justification by faith, which is living by faith. Practical, everyday faith. What it means to live for God. And what he does, he says, I'm going to show you what that looks like by giving you about 20 different people and situations where people live by faith. And so let's read the Word of God. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Some of your translations have beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to their reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. This is the word of God to God's people. Let's pray. Father, this is the living and active word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide even the soul and the spirit. Would you use it to cut away our sin but heal our hearts as we might hear the gospel and we might live by faith in a way that would not only be good for us, but bring honor and glory to you. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Most of you read our daily bread, or at least you pick one up at the front of the church every couple of months. And on uh, January the 19th, it had in our daily bread that you make 773,000 decisions in your lifetime. 773,000. That's three-fourths of a million. And it goes on to say, of those 773,000 decisions you make, you will come to regret 143,000 of those as well. I don't know where they got their numbers. And as a matter of fact, I don't believe their numbers because I put a little math to it. And you take 773 and you divide it by 70, and that's, you know, the average lifespan in the Bible, three score and, and 10. And you divide and you get 11,000 a year, and you divide that by 365 days in a year, and you get 30 decisions a day. You made more than 30 decisions today before you got here. You decided whether to hit the snooze button or not. You decided to put your robe on before you ran to the kitchen to get your coffee. You decided whether you were going to come to church or not. You know, you're going to sleep in or watch on TV. And then you decided if you're going to come to church, you decide, what am I going to wear? 
Did I wear that last week? You know, what color tie goes with that? Am I going to wear a suit or a sport coat? Am I going to go in my truck or go in my car? You know, we make decisions all the time. And some of them are minor decisions, and some are major decisions. Moses makes a major decision in this passage. Moses chose to be identified with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And the question that we want to ask is this. How did he make that decision? Or maybe why did he make that decision? And we know the answer is by faith. But how did he come to have that faith to make that kind of decision? So I want to look at our three hooks today. I want to say that faith always leads to courage. Faith always makes good choices. And faith trusts Christ, the Lamb of God. Faith always leads to courage. It doesn't completely eliminate fear, but it makes fear subordinate to faith. It might act sometimes trembling and afraid, but it acts in faith, believing that God will honor that. There are two places in this passage where the writer says faith made these people not afraid. Moses' parents were not afraid of the king. And Moses, when he left Egypt, was not afraid of the king. And the parents, because they were not afraid of the king, hid Moses for three months in their house. Now, you know what happened. The Pharaoh had concerns that the, uh, that the Israelites and the Jewish people were multiplying so rapidly that God was blessing them that they were actually going to become as numerous as a star in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He was seeing that come to pass. And he believed that maybe there'd be so many Israelite babies born, especially boy babies, that they would take up arms against him and overthrow the kingdom, maybe join with their allies and, and overthrow Egypt. And he thought the way to deal with these people is that we'll kill all the male babies. And so the midwives were given the instruction, if a male is born, just kill him. And the midwives obeyed God instead of man. And they, they were called before the king. And the king said, what are you doing? And he said, well, these, these Israelite women give birth so quickly. They're born before we get there. And we don't want to kill them after they're, they're born. And so he intensifies the edict and says, okay, everybody, if you have a boy baby born, throw the baby in the Nile River. It will drown and it will be eaten by the crocodiles. And what Moses' parents did, Jochebed and Amram did, was they weren't afraid of the king. And they weren't afraid of his edict. You know there had to be consequences. If you disobeyed, maybe you were killed. But it didn't matter. Their baby boy was beautiful. It's really interesting, that word beautiful. Have you ever been to the hospital? I've been going to the hospital and the houses with newborns for 40 years. Older, longer than if you include my own kids, but in the ministry, 40 years. I've never gone into a room and a mama say, boy, isn't it an ugly baby? Never seen it. Never seen an ugly bride. I'm close to it, but anyway, never seen a, <laughs> never seen an ugly baby. And so this is not saying the baby was beautiful in the sense this baby was, you know, had uh, just porcelain skin and, you know, hair and everything. Calvin, I don't know if I agree with him here, but Calvin believed the child had some kind of mark on him that identified him as a special child. And you can go and read Calvin. I hate to question whether that's right. Josephus, who had records, oral tradition records, thought that Moses' parents had a dream that their child would be the deliverer of God's people. And then because of that dream, they realized we have to protect this child. That seemed to be probably more likely. But whatever the reason, they saw this beautiful child, this marked child, this child of a dream, and they had to protect him. And so after three months, it became harder to protect him. And so they made a, an ark. And they were hoping that the ark, the little basket covered with pitch, would, 
would keep him afloat until somebody downriver would have, have pity on him. And in the providence of God, the Pharaoh's daughter, you know, just so happened, was there, and just so happened to see, and thought this was a beautiful baby, and decided to keep it. And it just so happened that Moses' sister said, hey, I can, I can find uh, somebody to be a wet nurse and nurse the baby. And I went and got Moses' mother, and she nursed him and taught him about the things of God. It takes faith to raise a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It takes faith to raise a child when the whole world is against what you're teaching. Moses' mother, we don't know how long she nursed this baby. I googled, and it's got to be right if you googled it, okay? I googled where it was not uncommon for the Egyptian women to nurse their children five years. And so just imagine what you could teach a child in five years. All right, now, imagine, I don't know what a five-year-old, but imagine what a five-year-old could learn. Now, surely you could teach him about God made everything, and that Adam and Eve disobeyed, and God, instead of killing them, killed an animal, and that God called Abraham to be his servant and to be a nation and 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 he had Isaac and he showed his faith and then he had Isaac Jacob and then you have Joseph and Joseph's how we got to Egypt and we're God's people and now but even if you don't believe that that child in by age five could do that do you think that after nursing that child the Pharaoh's daughter just said okay I'm going to take over now the odds are somebody of wealth and well-being probably would hire her as a nanny. She probably wouldn't say, okay, you've nursed this child and this child is independent now. Now you get out of here. You would assume that somebody with that kind of kind heart would allow the mother to have some interaction with the child and the teaching continued. And so where did Moses get his faith, humanly speaking? He got it from his mama and his dad. The same place that all covenant children hopefully get their faith. They're nursed with it. The milk of God's word goes into them. This passage really does encourage parents, I think, that the seeds that you sow in your children's heart are never going to be in vain. You have no idea what that promise that you taught your child is going to do you know the old saying go whoever rocks a cradle controls the nation there's a lot of truth to that and we could say it in a little bit different way we could say who educates the child controls the nation and more and more parents are getting involved in that level too but we as a covenant family we believe this passage is so true that 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 parents are expected and can expect God to use their training to bring their children to faith. We stand up here, you know, we've done it over a hundred times, well over a hundred times. And parents stand here and say that I vow to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's what we say that we're to do. And we as a congregation say, we'll help you do it. Once you run into problems and encounter difficulties, we'll, we'll give you advice if we have it. We've been down that road. We've messed up too. We'll pray for you. We believe that those teaching times with your children are not in vain. And so it's an encouragement to you, not a rebuke. It's an encouragement to you to Take that train of a child program and teach those children the catechism questions. And those, that children's catechism is rich. It's gold. And then maybe they'll grow up to love the shorter catechism. And then they will be like very few people and love the larger catechism. But uh, they'll love it. And uh, that's the riches we have to teach our children. And not only do we have the ability to teach them, I want to read this because I thought it was pretty good. It's not poetic or anything, but it just kind of simply says, 
It says, this is how we pass our faith on to our children, by our words, but more pointedly by our actions. Children are either hardened by the hypocrisy of their parents, or like Moses, they're inspired by the consistency of word and deed. If we are unforgiving with our children and show an unwillingness to admit our sin, then we communicate a lack of grace to them. If we spend all our money on ourselves and begrudge giving the church and those in need nothing, if we speak harshly about other people seeming to rejoice in their failures and follies, then we communicate a religion other than Christianity. But when we are quick to repent and ready to forgive, when we trust the Lord with our provisions and give freely to others, and speak graciously about other sinners to list just a few practical applications, we show our children a belief in a God who's merciful, mighty, kind, and able to save. So Moses had a godly, godly parents that helped him grow in faith. Faith, though, ends up having to choose has to choose. Moses chose. Moses considered. Moses looked at all of his options. It says when he was fully grown, when he was grown up, I don't know what your tr translation said, but faith, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Here was the choice. I can either be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter or I can be mistreated with the people of God. I can identify with the people living in the palace or I can identify with the people living in their tents and huts. I can identify with those that are wealthy and have everybody do something for them, or I can identify with those who are doing all the work. I can choose Christ and heavenly treasure, or I can have the treasure of Egypt. And he chose, after consideration, that's what the word says, he refused to be known, but he chose to be mistreated. And I asked the question, when did he make that choice? You know the answer. He made it when he was 12. I'm kidding. You know, we got to the age of accountability. I'm kidding. When did he make that choice? We don't know when he made the choice in his heart, but we know when he made a public declaration of that faith is when he killed the Egyptian that was misusing, abusing the person of God. And we get that from Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is giving his testimony about his faith. And he goes all the way back to Abraham and Moses and talks about this. But Moses for 40 years obviously had an inward profession of faith. And he probably had heard the story of Joseph and how Joseph was raised up. And he was used in the king's palace to be the vice king or the vice pharaoh, or the secretary of agriculture. And he said, I, maybe I can do that. God has called me to work on the inside, to be part of the government. Maybe I can change it. I can be the person who makes a difference. And finally, when he was 40, he goes, I can't do it anymore. That I'm going to identify, I cannot take them beating my God's people anymore. And he acted in anger, and he kills an Egyptian. And the word gets out, and when he tries to intervene the next day when two Israelites are fighting, he realizes his murder was known and he had to leave. But he made that choice to identify with the people of God. And he knew what it would cost. It would cost mistreatment. He knew these people were making bricks without straw. He knew these people were beaten. He knew these people were so hated that the Pharaoh was having their children thrown in the river. But he realized these are God's people. And you always side up with God's people. You always cast your lot with the church. 
you always say, hey, I'm a part of this group here. Not just Covenant Church and not just Covenant Presbytery, not just the PCA, but all who name the name of the Lord our God. The Holy Catholic, meaning universal, general church. I identify with them, and I know that if I identify with them, that mistreatment is going to come. Jesus' last beatitude, or blessed are those who are persecuted. And Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. But Moses understood that that was part of the deal. He chose the mistreatment of God's people. He chose to say no to sin and sinful pleasures because he understood they lasted only for a little while. Can you imagine as the Pharaoh's grandson, and let me make a parenthetical note, a lot of scholars believe that the Pharaoh didn't have a son, and so that's the reason that Moses was probably being groomed and educated to take over when Pharaoh died. And can you imagine what was available to him because he was the Pharaoh's grandson, heir to the throne? Can you imagine? Well, you don't have to imagine very hard because you can go to Solomon and read Ecclesiastes. And he denied himself no pleasure. He denied himself nothing. Wine, women, song, buildings, gardens, everything he had, gold and silver, lived a life of hedonistic pleasure. Moses was aware of the power, the pleasure, the possessions that were his, but he understood they were fleeting. They were like cotton candy. They looked like something, but were really nothing. And he understood what the hymn writer would later say, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children. No, he knew lasting joys and solid treasures. And he chose to be identified with God's people. And then he chose Christ as his treasure. He chose Christ instead of the treasures of, of Egypt. I have this vague memory. I... Remember when King Tut's ex exhibition came to exhibit came to America? Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? And uh, back then, I, it's you know some things I can remember, but I just remember you know people just going to see it, and I probably thinking, who wants to go see that? I wish I'd have gone to see it. I looked it up online, and man, the gold and everything. He was buried with more gold than most people will ever see in their whole life. That was available to Moses, and he says, no, I think I'll take Christ. Now, it's interesting that when he says he chose Christ in the NIV and in the ESV, and I don't think any translation really does it. If yours does, it's unusual. It says, the Christ. He didn't choose Christ, he chose the Christ, meaning that he didn't understand what we know about Christ, but he understood that God would send an anointed one that would be the prophet, priest, and king of his people. He understood that God was going to send a Savior to crush the head of the evil one who would bring in all the promises of God. He understood that and he said, I, I'm going to choose Christ, the Christ, instead of the treasures of heaven. We all stand or have stood right where Moses is. That we have a choice. That Joshua says clearly, remember Joshua 24, Choose you this day whom you'll serve, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Moses said, I'm, I'm speaking for my family as a covenant head. We're going to serve the Lord. You do what you want to do. We're serving the Lord. And that choice affects everything, every day, not just Sunday. It's a daily thing. And why do people not choose it? Because they don't understand the treasure that awaits them. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in his famous uh, quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what the offer at the holiday at the beach is. We are far too easily pleased. We choose Christ when we understand that solid joys and lasting treasures none but Zion's children know. Got to be quick on this last one. Faith trusts Christ. Faith instituted, he not just, the word kind of could be translated instituted there. He not just kept it, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. And he did it as a prefiguring of Christ, not that he knew that at the time, but the last supper was, I mean, the last plague of Egypt was the Passover. And he wasn't afraid of the Pharaoh who was going to be mad when all his labor force left and all his jewelry had left. He, Moses could care less now. He had seen the power of God. But can you, take, can you imagine how much faith it took to believe the Passover? Okay, take this lamb, the unblemished lamb, and you cut it and you cook it and you eat all of it with your neighbor if you have to, but you've got to eat all of it with your belt tucked in and put some blood on the uh, doorpost of your house. And if you do that, the death angel is going to pass over you and kill everybody in Egypt. We're so used to that, we think, okay, that's like you going to Dr. Brock during COVID, and he said, okay, here's what you do. You go to the Kroger, and you get your chicken, and you cut the wing off, and you hammer the wing over your door frame, and when the COVID comes here, it's going to pass over, and you go, Doc, are you okay? You know, I expected some kind of shot or something, you know. That's how crazy this sounded. And I don't know if it was Boyce or John White or whoever who said, can you imagine these two dads out in the field and one dad said, I'm really nervous. I only have one son. And what happens if this doesn't work? And the other one said, did you do what, the, what Moses said that God said? Did you take a unblemished lamb and did you slaughter it and did you cook it and did you put it on your doorpost? And he says, yeah. He said, well, don't worry about anything. It'll all be okay. And he said, I'm still nervous, but I, I'm trusting God to do it. Which firstborn was saved? Both of them. He didn't say do it without trembling. He didn't say do it without any hesitation. He said do it. And some of those people probably did it thinking, I hope this works, but I'm going to obey what Moses said and what God, and that's faith, obeying what God said. You... And I too often think that faith is the amount of faith we have. And it's not. Saving faith has an object, which is Christ. And that faith can be weak or strong, but the faith is really in Christ. He's the object of our faith. It's not the amount of our faith. It's our faith in Christ. It's not in our works. It's not that God's just love and God's going to be forgiving and we're better than other people. But... My only hope is in Christ. Did y'all see Steve Huber on Facebook? His pond froze over. And he invited anybody with size 11 shoe to come out and ice skate because they only had one pair of ice skates. And I love Steve, but I didn't trust him. He knew what frozen ice was, and so I didn't go. Because, you know, you can have strong faith in weak ice and get wet. You can have weak faith and strong eyes and be okay. It's the object of your faith. Moses pointed us to Jesus. Jesus gave up glory. Not just the Pharaoh's house. He gave up glory and emptied himself of that and became obedient to the form of a servant. He identified with the people of God. He decided that you would be his treasure. And he suffered with the people of God, suffered temptation and weariness and tired and, and battled with the evil one. He suffered pain and loss and grief and death. And he not only identified with you in suffering, he 
was the Passover lamb who was actually sacrificed. That John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what we do this morning is we do it for the first time or we do it for the thousandth time. We locate our faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And once you make that choice by God's grace, it changes everything. Let's pray. Bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word, that what has been said in truth might penetrate the heart, what has been said in falsehood might uh, be plucked away. And may we have the seed planted in our heart and bear much fruit to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We are God's people. 